Do you feel stuck? Has your podcast stopped gaining new listeners? Do you wish your community was more engaging? I know that a lack of engagement can make you feel like nobody cares about your podcast or nobody wants to hear what you have to say, but in most cases, that's simply not true. It's more likely that your loyal listeners just haven't found you yet. Your artwork, your titles, your descriptions haven't done enough to catch their eye. Now, I'm not here to sell you on an easy button. There will be some work involved, but the first step is to get another experienced set of eyes on your project. It can be difficult to objectively examine and evaluate your own work. So head over to thepodcastersguild.com and book a podcast audit. From there, we can work together to make sure your loyal listeners are able to find your show and understand why this is the show they've been looking for. Join me at thepodcastersguild.com and we'll get started today. In the last episode, episode 58, I walked you through the process I use to prepare for my solo shows. But not everyone does solo shows. And even here on Podcast Better, not every show is a solo show. So what do you do when you have a guest? How do you prepare for that show? Let's find out. Podcast Better is for you, the podcaster or soon-to-be podcaster, who has a business, a cause, or a hobby that you're passionate about. Each week, we'll take a closer look at the mental, physical, and technical skills necessary to produce a quality show that your fans will want to listen to. Thanks for sharing part of your day with me so that we can podcast better together. Welcome, 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 fellow podcaster, to another episode of Podcast Better. Today, once again, we're talking about preparation. But unlike last episode where I was talking about preparing for a solo show, today I want to address what happens when you have a guest on the show. The basics of show prep are going to be the same whether or not you have a guest. But there are definitely a few extra things that I would take into consideration if you have a guest with you. The major differences for me fall into three categories. Scheduling, contracts, and interview. These are three things that you don't have in your solo show. It's not something you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about scheduling because you're doing it by yourself. You don't have to worry about a contract because it's just you. And an interview? Well, once again, you need at least two people to do an interview. It's pretty hard to interview yourself. So with those things in mind, let's take a look at what I would recommend you do before you actually get to recording your episode. The first thing I mentioned, scheduling you need to schedule a time and date to meet with your guest. Now, I could probably have an entire episode just related to scheduling and just related to getting your guests on the show or getting your guests to agree to be on the show. And that is a topic I want to address at a later date. Hopefully within the next month, I'm working on trying to get a guest on to talk about that with me. But It may not be able to happen right now, and I may end up doing that show by myself. But at a very high level right now, I do want to talk about scheduling. Some people get so wrapped up in just trying to get a guest on the show, they completely forget about actually scheduling a time to to make it happen. So not only do you want to make sure you have a date in place, but make sure you have a time. And when you have a time, the important thing to remember, time zones. Even if you're only working with people in the U.S., 
we have four time zones in the continental U.S., and then Alaska and Hawaii have their own time zones. You need to know where that person lives. And even if you know where they live, they need to know where you live so that you are coordinating your schedules. Because if you tell them, oh, let's record at 7 p.m., they're going to assume it's their time zone. You're going to assume it's your time zone. And if you're on separate sides of the country, it's not going to work. It gets even crazier if you go international, which I've done. You get people from the UK. You get people from Australia. You really need to coordinate what time you're meeting. You can make it work, but it's just something you need to take into consideration when you are scheduling. So that's one of the first things I always do when I'm scheduling something. You can go about it one of two ways. You can either offer up some times and let them know what time zone you're in, or sometimes it works better if you don't know what time zone they're in, so you you don't know what might be a good time frame to work with. You can simply ask them what day would be good for you and what time zone are you in. It's at least a jumping off point, somewhere to get started. Now, I will recommend, once again, be as specific as possible. If you do know where they are, you're in your first communication when you're trying to schedule an appointment, I would definitely recommend throwing out a possible time to meet. The less back and forth that is necessary, it's going to be better for both of you. And the easiest way to kind of get ahead of that is to start by throwing out a specific day and specific time. Either they will make that day and time work for their schedule, or they'll be able to tell you flat out, no, that won't work, and then either ask them to to suggest a counter time, or you can come up with another time and date to try. But it's so much easier for your guest if they can just answer yes or no to a time that you provided, as opposed to giving them an open-ended, well, what works for you? So keep that in mind. But more importantly, time zones. That's the big point I want to drive home here. It amazes me how often people neglect to think about time zones. So I don't want that to be you. The next point I want to make, contracts. I know a lot of people don't even think about contracts. A lot of people will tell you you don't need contracts. And it's true, you can probably get away without contracts for a long time. I've never had to actually enact the contents of a contract before. I never, I never had to go back to a guest and say, well, you signed this, so sorry, you're out of luck. But I always say better safe than sorry. And that's why I get every single one of my guests to sign a contract. If you go back and listen to episode 14, you can hear from the lawyer that I purchased my contract from. You can purchase the exact same contract as well from his website, and he shows you how to use it, what it means, and everything that's contained within there. So you can be confident when you go to your guest and say, I, I, would, I need you to sign this, here's why. And I've never had a problem with anybody signing it. But if you want a little inside info about why I recommend a contract, go listen to episode 14. So I bring those two things up together because they should happen right at the beginning of your negotiations. As soon as your guest agrees to be on your show, you should schedule a time and date and you should get them to sign a contract. Do this all together so you're not chasing it after you record the episode or anything like that. Get it all done ahead of time. So then when the date comes around that you did schedule, you can focus just on that interview. You can focus on the guest. You can focus on getting a good recording. So as that date approaches, I highly, highly recommend sending out a reminder email to your guest. This is particularly important if you have scheduled this meeting 
days, weeks, months in advance because not everybody puts the date in their calendars. Not everybody remembers all the appointments that they scheduled or wrote them down in a proper place or put an alert in their phone. So it's going to be a very welcome email to get 24 hours in advance instead of, say, 15 or 30 minutes before they're supposed to record. And it's like, oh, completely forgot about that. But if you give them tw- that 24-hour notice, that's that I find is enough notice that they can either let you know, oh, sorry, I can't make it, and you you have time then to come up with a backup plan, or it's just a nice reminder that they can prepare, they have time if they hadn't been able to prepare yet, and so you're both ready to go. In this reminder email, I would once again share the meeting time and location. If you're meeting remotely, this is a great time to share whatever link you're going to use, whether it's a Zoom link or a StreamYard link. However you plan to meet with your guest, include that information in this email. And then once again, confirm the time and date. So once again, you can be on the same page with your guest. That's the last thing you want is miscommunication on the day of. So all of that goes into scheduling and the contracts and following up on the schedule. Now we're going to get more into the content of the show. And this is basically where a few of things are going to overlap with what I talked about in the last episode when you're doing a solo show. Because like I said, you didn't need to schedule and you didn't need a contract when you're just doing it by yourself. But when it comes down to recording, there are going to be a few similarities. So once again, I'm going to recommend you create some sort of outline. Now this outline for me, when I have a guest is not going to be nearly as complete as when I do a solo show because I want my guest interviews to be a little bit more conversational and I want the freedom to react to what my guest says. So instead of just asking them question A, waiting for an answer, then asking question B, then waiting for an answer, then asking question C, that's going to turn out really dry. It's not the best format in my opinion. You want to have at least one question, I recommend five potential questions that you might ask your guest in your outline. And if your guest asks you for an outline or a list of questions, that's what I usually send them. But I will send it with this caveat. I will only guarantee that I'm going to ask the first question because if that first question is good enough, the rest of the conversation could happen naturally. And there's going to be follow-up questions and tangents, relevant tangents, but tangents that come out of that first question. And that's where I find we have the best interviews is when it just happens naturally. Now, I recommend having a few backup questions in case the conversation does stall out or the first question doesn't go quite as planned. It's nice to have other questions or prompts for you to go to. But when I go into an interview with a guest, like I said, I typically just have one main question to get the ball rolling. Now, to help keep the conversation flowing, I do recommend that you have a place to take notes during the interview. This can be a notepad and a pen. If you like to take notes physically, if you like to write things out, if you can write quickly and quietly, that'll work. Otherwise, I always have a Google Doc open. So when my guest is answering a question and they mention something that I want to follow up on or they make an interesting point that I want to remember for later, I can quickly make a note of it. Because I want to be interacting with my guest. I want to actually be listening to what they're saying. And that's what I was saying before. You don't just want to ask them a question and then let them answer and just let it hang there. 
You want to respond to that. You want to interact with that. You want to follow up with that. Because more often than not, the best stories that your guest can give you, the best information, it's not going to come from the top level question that you ask them. It's going to come from a follow-up question. When you start to dig deeper, that's where I find the best information usually comes. And if you listen to some of your favorite interviews, that's probably what's happening as well. You listen. It's not the first question. It's when the host digs deeper and asks a second question, a third question, and really gets into the nitty-gritty details of what's going on, what's happening, or how they accomplished a goal, or why they did what they did. So have a place handy that you can take notes. You don't need to take full sentences necessarily. Just make a quick, quick note that you can come back to later in the interview or after they're done answering that particular question and say, hey, I heard you mention this. Could you talk about that more? Or, hey, I heard you mention this term that I'm not familiar with. Could you explain that? And that's something to keep in mind too. When your guest starts using industry terms or technical jargon, make sure you explain those things. Either you can do it yourself or ask your guest to explain it. Let them share their knowledge. Let them look like the know-it-all in this conversation. Even if you know the answer, even if you know and can explain it to your audience, let the guest explain it. Put yourself in the shoes of your listener. You've heard me say this before. Think about it from your listener's point of view. Is every one of your listeners going to know every term in the industry, especially if they're a beginner, if they're listening to your podcast to learn more about your topic? Probably not. So make sure all of those terms and people and different things that your guest might mention get explained. And that's one of the reasons you need to be paying attention to what your guest is saying. Don't just let them ramble off a canned answer. Dig deeper. And then finally, the other piece of your episode is like the intro and outro. Now, I've seen it done both ways. Some people like to record intros and outros live. They'll do it with their guest right there. But that's not usually for me. When I have a guest on, I will tell them that this is just the interview portion of the episode. I will be adding an intro and outro later. Now, you can do it either way, whichever way you're comfortable with. But I like to add stuff later so I can use the intro and outro to kind of respond to the interview. If something went wrong in the interview, or if there was some question I forgot to ask, or if there's some term I need to explain, or anything odd that happens in the interview, I can put that in the intro and say, hey, here's what happened. I hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. And then in the outro, sometimes I just like to reflect on what was said in the in the interview. And that's not something I'm necessarily ready to do right there on the spot, right after I interviewed my guest. I don't want to make them sit there and listen to me rehash everything that was just said in the interview. So that's something I always like to add at a later time when I'm editing. That, once again, gives me the ability to focus solely on my guests and the interview. You want to respect the time of your guest, especially if you're asking for 30, 60 minutes of their time, however long your interviews might run. You want to respect their time. And so I I try to limit the time I require from them. That's why it's best to have that time and date scheduled, have that guest contract out of the way. You send them that reminder so they have time to prep for the interview. You are prepared as well. And then you're ready to go with your outline. Ask your follow-up questions and just focus on their answers and making the interview the best that it can be. That's all there is to it. That's how I prepare. Remember to schedule that time and date with the time zones. Get that guest contract signed. Go check out episode 14 for more information on that. 
Send your reminder email 24 hours in advance. Create your outline and make sure you have a place to take notes during the interview. You do all that, you'll be golden. It takes a little time, a little practice, but it's definitely worth your time. That's all I have for now. I hope your next guest interview is a great one. Let me know how it goes and I'll talk to you soon. If you're starting a podcast soon, you're going to need a podcast hosting company. For that, there's only one company I recommend, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has a clean, user-friendly interface. Their system is set up to walk you through every step of the process you need to set up your podcast. But if you ever get stuck, I'm more than happy to help you out. Buzzsprout also has the best customer service I've ever experienced. So even if I'm unable to help, rest assured that your problem will be handled. You can try Buzzsprout free for 90 days to see what it's all about by using my affiliate link. Just go to thepodcastersguild.com slash buzzsprout. That's thepodcastersguild.com slash buzzsprout. If you use that link and choose to upgrade to a paid plan, Buzzsprout will even send you a $20 Amazon gift card after your second paid month. It's a win for everybody. Let me know if you have any questions, but head on over to thepodcastersguild.com slash buzzsprout today, and I can't wait to see what you create.